What's up, everyone? My name is Wes, and you're listening to the Ear Coffee Podcast. For today's episode, I spoke with Dylan Hilliker, who makes music under the Horse Tornado moniker. He'll be releasing his debut album, The Great Pause, this Friday, March 19th. On top of his music, Hilliker founded the Rochester Music Festival, runs the Three Birds music label, and manages Why Not and Gully Boys. We talked about the long journey it took to get to this point in his musical career, his many ongoing projects, the record's inspirations, and a whole lot more. Without further ado, here's my interview with Dylan Hilliker of Horse Tornado on the Ear Coffee Podcast. How are you doing on this fine Wednesday evening? I'm doing great, man. Just had dinner. Yeah. I am uh, chilling at home, so hopefully we get a Timberwolves win tonight. That's what we're... You know... I don't know a lot about sports, but like I'm not optimistic for just from what little I've got. But you know, hey, fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not a great time to be a Minnesota sports fan. But like, when is it? So <laughs> kind of yeah, outside of like the links, pretty much, and like sometimes yeah, yeah, like every like five years the Vikings like they make it to like the the, the playoffs. Um, <laughs> yep, that's our only redeeming qualities right now. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we're, I'm really excited to talk about your forthcoming record, but, um, before we get into that, why don't you just do like a little background, a little bit of an introduction for the people who aren't familiar with, especially your work with Horse Tornado, but even just like what you've been doing for the last couple of years, cause you've been pretty busy over the last half decade or so. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm Dylan Hilliker. Um, I am from Rochester, Minnesota, and I, um, I'm a musician, producer, festival runner, um, booking agent, manager, kind of doing everything. Um, so I started the Rochester Music Festival in 2016. Um, and through that kind of like met the bands that I'm managing today, Why Not and Goalie Boys. Um, and then through the pandemic, I, you know, I've been playing in bands and doing that stuff before but like uh never really did like a a proper like solo project Mm -hmm. um so through the pandemic i uh you know just picked up my guitar again and just like kind of played my my little my little riffs and they (laughs) uh turned into songs so that's the process i can thank my yeah i can thank my um you know, my uh, intermediate knowledge of Logic Pro and my beginner knowledge of guitar. To, this is how we got here. This is how we got here. Um, we're going to dive into pretty much all of that that you just alluded to. Um, but sure. I like to start interviews in a pretty identical way. Um, I find that virtually anyone that makes music, especially has been making music for most of their lives, they have had a really close connection with music since they were younger since they were growing up and so i'm curious for you what was that moment like what are those memories where you really remember first connecting with whether it's just like a song or a band or anything on a deeper level that kind of now led you to where you're at and what you've been working on yeah yeah for sure i um i so i was born in like north carolina i was born in chapel hill north carolina so i lived there for 10 years and I was like, you know, growing up, like North Carolina is a big basketball state. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm tall. So, you know, I, I started playing basketball when I was really young. And I, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to college and 
play basketball and then I'm going to make it to the NBA and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, uh, as it, as it revealed itself to me, you know, that's obviously like, there are not a lot of people that can make it to the NBA. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I found myself like, I, I was always, you know, listening to music as a kid, like my parents had an old, like, you know, um, set up um that they used to play out of like you know just like old speakers and they would play you know like bonnie Raitt and james taylor and kind of like you know the the classic like singer songwriter like easy listening to yeah like the laurel canyon kind of stuff yeah exactly and mom was um my mom was like went to school down in nashville and she's Mm -hmm. from north carolina originally so i feel like she was kind of influenced by that you know and like the singer songwriter stuff that was going along at the time and then you know i took to discovering music you know and kind of playing music i started playing guitar when i was seven or eight and then you know quickly picked up drums after that Mm -hmm. because i was like guitar is kind of boring i want to like do something a little bit more physical um Mm -hmm. that was just the sports guy in me i just like needed something macho to get get at Uh, but like so i ended up falling into drums and just like ended up really digging deep into that and um but yeah i think like you know it was so funny the like the i was just talking about this this morning i i i went to nashville to go to school at belmont Oh, um, and yeah. i yeah and i started working at the ryman which is like this old church on broadway that has like you know a bunch of crazy shows um mm-hmm. and that was when i was a sophomore and the first person that i saw i mean was allison kraus and oh. like that was the first concert i got to like sneak in from my post and 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 see what was up and you know that was like one of the artists i grew up on you know so that was like a huge moment for me kind of like coming full circle but i think you know i was always like inclined to be musical when i was younger even though it wasn't like something that was taught like my parents weren't musical it just kind of like i fell into it just by you know listening and discovering my own stuff yeah what were your first creative creative ventures like when you were beyond just like learning the instruments when you were first maybe like experimenting with like songwriting as a, like a teenager, like first couple bands, even like pre dystonia, if there were any, like what yeah. was that? Uh, or was dystonia your first, I guess. Like formal uh, dystonia band? wasn't my first project. I actually had a band with some friends in middle school. Um, shout out Nicholas drive. Nice. Uh, and we played the, we played the, um, we played the like middle school talent show and, and that kind of stuff. And yeah, I feel like I was like, I was like, so gung ho on it. Like once I knew that I could play drums and I knew that I could play them all right. Um, I was just like, I need to find a band. Like we gotta like get famous like immediately. <laughs> and, uh, so that was like my idea of being a, you know, like a kid star. Um, but you know, like, yeah, uh, that was kind of my first thing and then like when i when i started when when i started dystonia with kevin um it was kind of like we you know both were kind of figuring out songwriting as it went because like the middle school band was a cover band you know like we never wrote any original music but i think me and kevin were both trying to get at something and so it ended up just kind of like writing about whatever high school yeah girl problems you know that kind of stuff yeah um what was dystonia kind of what was that like as just 
beyond kind of just opening your eyes to the idea of like, of like songwriting kind of being a more like I don't even want to say professional but like more a, a more genuine band where you're actually like we're a band instead of just we're made of yeah. playing covers for fun because we play our instruments and we're having a good time like just talk a little bit about that because that was active for like two years I think like, yeah active, yeah unquote. I mean we had been yeah we had been like you know we had always fed off each other musically and you know kev was learning how to play keys like as we went so that was kind of like it was a learning process for both of us just kind of learning how to collaborate with each other and learning like hard stuff and like you know just like yeah. the basic stuff i feel like we were so even though we're like you know a hop skip and a jump away away from the cities like we were so um we were so just like in our own zone, like no one else that we knew was playing music. So we just kind of learned how to do all that by ourselves. So I think it was kind of like getting to that professional point where we were just kind of like trying to do everything ourselves. Like we were booking all of our own shows, we we're writing all our music, we we're recording all of our own stuff. Um, and so even though it, like it never really ended up going anywhere, I think that's kind of where, I started to feel like, oh, maybe this is like my lane. Maybe like, you know, this is something that, you know, my city needs. And, you know, eventually with like organizing the festival and that kind of stuff, it ended up being, you know, something that there was a need for. And um, so it was, it was cool to like have that kind of like formative experience, even though I look back on the music, I'm just like, what were we doing? <laughs> uh, but like, uh, but yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was a time. <laughs> it was definitely a time. Um, <laughs> how did you make the leap from dystonia? Kind of you just experimenting with that and going, then you went pretty much right away to starting Rockchester in 2016 and mm -hmm. eventually a few years later working with why not and gully boys kind of through your involvement in Rockchester. Yeah. How, how did you make that switch kind of from, a musical standpoint from like actually playing the instruments to coordinating and managing and just putting this thing together, yeah. which only continued to grow over the five years. It was in existence. Um, I, I don't want to be like, maybe it'll come back. I, you, you can speak, maybe you can speak more to that than I can. Um, yeah, but of course. How did you just, that's, you went from one thing to something that was completely different. So yeah. how did that kind of open, like affect your perception of music and of being in, bands and just bands in general um yeah because it's such a drastic shift yeah it's yeah it's interesting like i feel like because we had to do all the stuff by ourselves, it was kind of like you kind of learn how to do it and i think my you know i have i have a lot to credit for rochester just from my mom mm -hmm. you know she worked yeah she's highly entrepreneurial and you know worked in nonprofit spheres and has you know 10 side hustles going at all times so like she's obviously like the person that like i got this kind of like uh go-getter attitude from yeah. um but i think like you know with with the band we didn't have a lot of places to play in rochester so the pretty much the the thing that started the festival was like we ended up knowing some people who were in bands in Rochester that we thought were really cool and weren't really getting the kind of recognition that deserved. 
um and so like when we started this festival it was like it was mostly about like getting our people uh a bigger platform you know and yeah. like having a show where there was real sound and like real lights and uh you know, like uh, people were paying to get into the show yeah. that, that didn't really happen. And that didn't really happen in Rochester before the festival started. It's so weird to like talk about because now, you know, like Rochester has ticket shows and everything, but you know, we were like, we were right on the edge of like kind of making that stuff happen. And, you know, there's other groups like my time, my music and, you know, the Rochester posse that were paying on ticketed events and mm -hmm. kind of like coming with us. But I, I feel like we were kind of like leading the the youth in that way and kind of like trying to tell people like, yeah, it's okay to play music in Rochester. <laughs> like, you know, it is it is a Midwestern, like smaller town. So like most people are, you know, worried about sports and obviously we have Mayo Clinic. So mm -hmm. there are a lot of people worried about, you know, getting a really good education. But, you know, I think the creative stuff kind of um, – falls to the wayside a little bit and so like we were kind of able to pick that up and um yeah i'm, I'm meandering now but like yeah, yeah you kind of had like your, your footloose moment in a way where you're like we're, we're bringing music yeah. to the city like not quite dramatically right. no one was like trying to stop people from playing music but you right were, yeah you no kept, there was no there was it. no active resistance <laughs> no, no active resistance we no, were like, just we're priest just father or whatever um <laughs> yeah yeah so the only active resistance was we couldn't play in bars because we weren't we're 21 old yeah enough so that was that, that was it not a rochester specific thing though <laughs> um yeah yeah so kind of moving from that uh technically the first horse tornado release was the little anthology you put up on Bandcamp in 2018 i think yeah. it was and i think it's in yes. one of the little comments it says that it was intended as the first and last horse tornado release and obviously with like the anthology, the kind of descriptor and title, it's like a, just a, a lot of pretty much everything you've been writing and working on for the past like six years. So was that always mm -hmm. something you kind of wanted to do, even as you were in working on Dystonia and kind of pivoted to Rochester, where you're always trying to write songs and create your own music and then kind of hit that point where you uploaded the anthology, like in what was your thought process behind intending that as like the final, the first and only release for yeah. that moniker? Um, so just talk about like those kind of, I don't even know if saying like the first years, but like just kind of your solo creative process as you were working on those songs. Cause one of those songs at least did make it onto this new record that you you're putting out. Um, mm -hmm. So just talk about the, like those early times of songwriting and leading up to the anthology in 2018. Yeah, I think I had, you know, um, when we were writing for Dystonia stuff, I would, you know, I did the bulk of the writing and then we, you know, also wrote collaboratively. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I, you know, wouldn't get put on the records because it didn't really have the kind of vibe that we were going for. It was a little mm -hmm. bit more moody. It was a little bit more singer-songwriter-y. Um, and then I think, like, you know, through college uh just kind of like being in a new place and not having not like you know making friends right away it just kind of like put me in the in the moodiness um and so you know the the anthology is kind of like 
just a collection of just like the songs that I was writing at the time. It's kind of like, you know, uh, little beats that I was trying to make on Logic Pro, just like trying to learn how to do stuff. Um, so it kind of acts as like a journal more than anything, you know, like, uh, yeah. uh, and I think the, I, I was intending that to be the only thing. Like I was intending, like, I just kind of told myself, like, I needed to release something, you know, like I couldn't just like sit on all this stuff. Like I needed to at least like put it out so that, you know, put it out into the void, yeah. like <laughs> the void of the internet. Um, but you know, when the pandemic came around, I was, um, you know, I wrote, I wrote another song and was just like on my laptop all night, just like working on it. And that's when I kind of was like, maybe I should do this mm -hmm. like for real, for real, <laughs> you know, cause the, the anthology is like, it's just like voice memos and stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it, it, it was funny because like I was totally aware that I had said this was my, that was my first and last <laughs> album as I was making the this second one, yeah. album. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it, it's just kind of like a collection of, of thoughts from the, the past. I don't think it really fully even, you know, um, encompasses, all of what I was feeling mm -hmm. in, in those years, but it was, you know, a, a quick little synopsis of it. Yeah. It's kind of like the, the quintessential band camp only release where you have like, like years of demos before even putting out like any official release. That's, I guess, receiving like the attention that it, that it, like a record would usually deserve. It's getting put on all the different streaming yeah. platforms and so on. So Yep. Yeah, it's, it's I, I I always love when bands have that. You're like, oh, there's a little bit of backstory here for the extra curious or the yeah. podcasters. <laughs> I also like that. So yeah. that that makes me feel good. Yeah, nice. Uh, so especially like after you put up like the uploaded anthology for the two or so, two or three years when you weren't at least releasing and really writing music, it sounds like, what did your time away from actually making music kind of teach you about that and whether that's something that you learned from working with why not and golly boys who are obviously incredible bands in their own rights and then you kind of touch on like just being around all these creative people for rochester what did mm -hmm. that teach you about kind of your own approach to music or your own like mentality about it now that you have a little bit of hindsight with uh the horse tornado record being completed and yeah like being having a release date and everything yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I, uh, you know, I think like I was in those in those kind of two years between releases. I think I was really like just really hyper focused on the business stuff and like mm -hmm. getting my degree done at Belmont and like you know finding connections in the music industry. And I always knew I wanted to come back to Minnesota. Um, and and do it here um so when i got involved in you know why not and gully boys stuff that was you know a, a bigger reason for me to come back but i think i've definitely learned so much from them just like it, it's it's great when you can see into 
someone's songwriting process and then someone's live show process you know like you get so much from a band from just seeing them set up like and just seeing them like go through the motions of like writing a set list or like all that kind of stuff and that was what i was doing you know as i was kind of like doing the rochester stuff and just being able to speak with them and like all these bands and like kind of figure out what their processes were i don't think i was ever thinking about you know making you know a solo record while i was doing it but it definitely did like you know it 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 was an educational experience for sure just like like absorbing the information and not really having like a you're not like, hmm, oh, I'll do that when I put out my record. Like, it's just like kind of just right. being around these people. Yeah. And I think I've, I think I've always been, you know, about the creative side, but I've always been really intrigued by the business side of music too. And just like how we can like <laughs> distill this uh, completely intangible art form and uh just like you know bottle it up and sell it to the world yeah. like um so that was uh, that was always it's like this big puzzle for me and like uh-huh. the festival making the festival was this big puzzle and like you know it, it was a it was a good type of challenge and then like when i finally you know make this record that was also a good type of challenge where you know i i like it when i can mend the creative and the entrepreneurial spaces kind of together and, mm. and, and work with those yeah yeah um so actually kind of getting into the horse dino release uh, the great pause um yeah you mentioned that you had you'd just written an, uh, your, your first song in years at the very beginning of the pandemic what was going through your head when you first started writing that song and kind of just going back to this area that was familiar but you hadn't really been in in a while um what was that what was your thought process going into that what was kind of going through your head as you were working on that song and spending all night working on it usually that's a good indicator where you're just really excited about it and you're like i want to i want to finish this i want this to sound good um and what what song was that if it did indeed make it onto the great pause yeah it was it was the one who forgets Mm -hmm. um which is like a kind of like a um, slower track in the middle of the record. Um, but yeah, it was it was me off of two grain belt Nordies tall boys, just like kind of like in my basement of my parents' house, um, picking up my guitar again for the first time because I had nothing else to do. And, and the riff kind of came to me. Um, and then I was like, you know, my brother had had a little setup with like a um, one of those like sure uh, PM forty sevens, like the twenty five dollar mm-hmm. microphones that you can get, like you know pawn shops and that kind of stuff. <laughs> so I had that, and like you know was kind of going back and forth between you know my guitar and then singing a little bit and then trying to make a beat, um, some logic, and so it was kind of fun. It's like you know another one of those puzzles that you get really excited about and you just want everything to kind of fit together and you're doing a bunch of tinkering. And I think I just kind of fell in love with the simplicity of that riff and kind of like, you know, I, I, throughout the years, you know, I've, you know, like 
always written down stuff that's like come to me like you know just little like lines of poetry or stuff that i think would be cool as a lyric or stuff that i hear people say that mm-hmm. it sounds good um and so like it was kind of a collection of all that stuff and i kind of went back into my notes and like those were the lyrics and i just kind of fit them in yeah um and so yeah it's like going back on the puzzle thing it's like it's just fitting everything together and i decided for this project like at first i wanted it to be like kind of a field medic kind of thing where it was mm. like beans and then acoustic guitar yeah um and then as i brought it into the studio it got a lot bigger and a lot more complex but that was kind of the main the main thing i was like i can't play guitar very well so i'm gonna play the most simple thing possible and then i know like the rhythms that i want so i'm gonna spend six hours trying to program this drum beat (laughs) um and that's just kind of how it was and then like you know as the pandemic went on there you know it wasn't shit to do so like (laughs) it was like it was just like why not just like you know try to process what was going on and process what was in my head and um kind of like take that you know um boredom and uh pain and fear and kind of like make it into something that was productive yeah um, and cathartic with it yeah and takes your mind off you know how like terrible the world was at that point you know yeah so and and that's like kind of the the thesis of the record like the great pause is like what me and my mom you know thought of one night where we were like yeah this is like this is the great pause like it's a resetting for everyone like Mm -hmm. everyone um and i think that's true for me especially because it was you know i had been doing the business stuff and the school stuff for so long that Mm -hmm. i'd never like given myself the chance to be creative so in in that like pause i was just able to kind of like reconnect with that that Mm -hmm. area yeah did you when you were working on that song were you even really having like the first inkling that this might be a record or you might work on more songs and just kind of turn this into what would eventually be your the horse tornado record or was that something that came further along as you were maybe just having a beer or two and then work on another riff uh, one at a time and be like, Hey, Oh, I, I've worked on like three or four songs. Yeah. What if I turn this into a record? What if I worked on this to actually make a record? Yeah, it was, yeah, it started off being the idea of an EP. It was kind of like, okay. you know, like, a, uh, it was like a, in basketball, like, you know, when you, when you just shoot and you just can't miss. Mm-hmm. like not to be like heady like i'm not saying the songs are i'm not saying the songs are superior but like it was just kind of like the the ideas all came together and just kind of flowed together so yeah. you know every day it was like here's this new idea write a little bit of that finish the song here's mm-hmm. this new idea finish the song like um so it was like that for you know like a week or two straight and that was when i was like oh this could really be a thing yeah um and then you know, kept on writing and writing and then it ended up being an album. So mm-hmm. we we started from there and got to here somehow. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So were most of these songs written during that first, like those two weeks? Or with the exception, obviously, of Wailing was the one kind of holdover from the anthology. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. What, what was the timeline for most of these songs as you were really at least writing like the acoustic, the, the Logic Pro, the non-studio versions of these songs before you went in and they grew a lot and they, you fleshed them out a lot. Um, were they yeah. all kind of just in those first couple weeks, first month or so of the pandemic or so? Or was it like a more yeah, it extended was. Pre- period? Yeah, it was. I think, you know, most of the songs came out of that kind of like initial spurt of mm. of stuff. And then, um, <laughs> you know, as I was like, as I was like getting to be recording time, I was like, oh, shit, I probably need one song there or like, you know, another song there. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, some of them were kind of like written out of like, you know, almost, almost necessity. Like I was trying to get at the, at the place I was going, but mm-hmm. they were all, you know, they're all unique and in the way that they were the way that they were conceived and i think like I, this is the first time i felt really good about like not only the music but the lyrics to everything so like i feel really confident about what i'm i'm saying mm-hmm. um but yeah it was all written you know before um like anything was open in 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 minnesota at least mm-hmm. was your relationship with your mother really is like important and essential for how you approach the record, how you, when you're working on it beyond even just like that conversation that kind of, that, that gave the album its title that gave you that thematic touch point of kind of everything mm-hmm. you're trying to speak to emotionally and lyrically. Um, Cause it sounds like she's been a really big supporter and inspiration for you just throughout your entire venture yeah. into music, whether Rochester or yeah. Tornado. Mm-hmm. yeah she's super important to me i think my parents are me and so like and it's one of those things where like i feel i'm i'm a very like external processor mm-hmm. so like i need to like talk shit out um yeah and so like my parents are good at that my dad's a psychologist and oh. you know my mom is a you know was a social worker now as a mm-hmm. you know nonprofit worker so obviously I was like extremely um, for lack of a better word, blessed mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to be, to have those parents and like um, definitely it, it helped the songs out a lot just to like kind of talk about what I was trying to get at. You know, I would show them my demos and my dad would always be like, what's this song about? And I would be like, ah, it's about this um, and kind of like grasping at straws i feel like i write in a very like subconscious way so i never really quite know what i'm getting at until i look back at it and i'm like oh this is really about this yeah you know and we can talk more about that if you, if you want to talk about songs specifically but yeah that's kind of the deal yeah um when you were yeah when you were especially like getting the lyrics down not even really addressing the music what were some of like the specific things you were really trying to address like what were you taking like some lyrical inspiration from and like the through lines that you were getting at thematically even beyond just kind of like the umbrella of reset and this this moment in time that we're all still essentially in in a lot of ways um Mm -hmm. and still kind of exploring and learning how we're dealing with it in real time so yeah i'm also interested like since when you wrote these songs, those lyrics are going to be a snapshot of snapshot of how you were doing in those 
moments? Do you still, like when looking back at them, do you still feel like those are representative of how you feel, how you felt then and how you feel now? And like, just talk a little bit about like that, it's like the lyrics specifically and your, the ideas you were trying to get across um, that I think people that either read the lyrics on bank camps or listen really closely are going to pick up on. Yeah. Yeah. The, the lyrics are definitely very um, reflective, you know, like I, I come from a place when I'm writing of just like kind of taking it all in, mm. getting it out, you know? So sometimes I'll have a song that's about two or three things or three or four things like, yeah. you know, it's never, it's never like, it's kind of just like little snapshots that I'm kind of putting together. Yeah. Uh, one like by the one puzzle but... analogy each song is a little puzzle <laughs> exactly yeah it's yeah really honing in on the puzzle analogy now i <laughs> hadn't even noticed that until now but but yeah i think it was like um or um you know i found a lot of inspiration from uh you know old stuff that i had written or like little notes in my phone and um Yeah, I think a lot of it is just kind of like taking stock of the past, you know, couple of years. And um, uh, I didn't want to be like super, I, I tried really hard not to be super like heady or like cliche or yeah. um, I, Dystonia was a lot of songs about girls. And I didn't want to write a song. I didn't want to write a song about a girl, you know, like, um, I wanted it to be more like universal as in like, I wanted to tap into like what I was actually feeling as in, uh, and kind of like give myself that challenge because I felt like the, a lot of the lyrics I gave, I, I, you know, wrote in the past were about other things and other people. And I mm -hmm. wanted to like really kind of like dig deeper into what I was feeling. And I think it was really easy um, because it was such a period of, self-reflection for you know most people yeah. um and so that was kind of like where the lyrics came from it's you know it's a um very subconscious process you kind of like put it all down and then mm -hmm. start to piece it together as it goes um but i think i think it's really important for me to like write stuff that not only like uh, not only that i feel good about but that people can also like find their own meaning and mm -hmm. you know i think that's i think that's super important because i feel like a lot of the songs you know sometimes when you start to explain them when you hear an artist explain like oh it's about this and you were always thinking oh it's about this it kind of ruins the song for you sometimes yeah so no i it's I, intentionally intentionally vague yeah and th yeah. that's kind of also part of why i at least personally hate asking like what was this song specifically about because I think yeah. especially with like it sounds like the way you're you wrote these lyrics that's very counterintuitive to how you want people to interpret them and how they were initially written whether you were even aware of that in the moment um yeah and i'm always finding new meaning and like what the lyrics were talking mm -hmm. about you know just like listening back through the to the masters i'm just like oh maybe this was actually about this yeah. And I mean, there's some lyrics where it's like really head on, like, you know, the great pause, like the title track that was, you know, me driving um, this 
you know, like through Chicago and through this big neighborhood and like thinking about like, oh, there's so many people that are just like in these houses and living mm. and I don't know any of them. <laughs> so yeah. that's like, you know, there, that's the, there's so many lives that aren't our own line. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think most of them are kind of like trying to figure out um, yeah. what I'm feeling. <laughs> yeah. Um, that reminded me, um, especially, like, especially with talking about driving through Chicago and the, the lyrics of the great pause. Um, yeah. There's this, Japanese term called mano no aware, I think is how you say it, or mano no aware. And it's pretty much just mm. an awareness of the transience of things where like you're driving this might even be completely wrong of what I'm thinking of, but like just an awareness of the lives of others and how you have no idea yeah. what's going on with them. Like and you can even just yeah. like, driving down the highway, like in rush hour, you're like you're surrounded by hundreds, if not thousands of people that you will never meet you'll never interact with they're all on their own journeys um, exactly which is always kind of crazy to think about it's always a trip and you know like <laughs> it's so funny because my my mom was like i think you're gonna i think you're gonna write the last song that you need because i was needing like one more song to finish out this record and mm -hmm. she was like i think you're gonna write this last song on your way i was going out to new york to see my girlfriend and she's like i think you're gonna get it and sure enough, like two hours into the drive, I was like, I had, I had it all. And I was like, I was like, I have the lyrics. I have the song. Like I have to go and demo this immediately. So I spent like, I was up to like 3am in a hotel in Akron. Um, just like, <laughs> like demoing out this stuff. And a lot of the same sounds that I use, like I use like, you know, fake bass and fake guitar mm -hmm. and all that stuff. A lot of those sounds are still on the actual like final recording. So you can mm -hmm. you can go and try to find them out. Yeah, that's that musician lifestyle. That recording in a hotel room. <laughs> instead, yeah, then, instead of being exactly. on tour, it's just you're on a road trip. Um, exactly. It all feels like tour. Everything feels like tour. <laughs> if you just convince yourself it is, it'll be like, oh, this is great. Um, yeah. Was there any any consideration of revisiting other songs either that were on the anthology release you put out? or songs from that era outside of wailing like or is that just the one song that really stuck out and like musically and lyrically you still connected with and felt like connected with the rest of what you were writing about on the record yeah i think when i wrote the first song it was it was so different than all the other stuff that i had mm -hmm. written previously so obviously i was thinking about it because you know like it's it's really easy to just like repurpose songs and just kind of figure out the different arrangements and everything. Yeah. But I kind of wanted to just like have a fresh start and like really dig into what I was doing in the present. But with whaling, it was like, it was like one of those like things that was in my phone, you know, in my voice memos and I'd listen to it every once in a while. And I just loved how it felt like, formation or like mm -hmm. a meditative kind of thing um and so when we were looking for like an i was you know kind of looking for a intro track for the record mm -hmm. and i knew i wanted like something um that one just kind of stood out and you know um zach zern who did the who was the producer on the record and recorded the record with me um 
you know, layered all those vocals and stuff. And, um, it, it was so good. I was like, you know, I was crying in the booth. I was like, <laughs> I was like, damn, this is like, you know, actually, you know, it's getting at the intention of the song mm-hmm. that I wrote when I was 15, you know, like, yeah. So it was cool to finally see that one, like come together. Yeah. I think it's cool that that is specifically the intro track. It feels like it's kind of bridging the gap between the, uh, between anthology and everything you're working on around that time. And yeah, definitely pause now. Um, yeah. Yeah. You, you, since you just mentioned Zach, this feels like a good time to ask about what was it like in the studio working with Zach for all the engineering and then working on, uh, working with your friends and like the guys in green top, I think Isaac and Henry, but not Josh from why not. And then, um, yeah, Kevin, your old bandmate. Um, yeah. what was it like working with all these different people? And like, what do they all bring to the fold? Um, and I'm curious since this record started out so solo, like so individual, so singular with just you and mm-hmm. logic and your guitar. Yeah. Um, did how did the, the sun, like this communal nature of having all these other people, collaborate with you did that kind of shift your understanding of any of these songs or how you were kind of thinking about the record as a whole once like you were really hearing what they all brought to the table yeah i think you know to answer the the question you just asked like i think the songs were very uh set in stone at the beginning like Mm -hmm. the what i was trying to get across um but I just like, I knew I needed to, I knew I needed to like actually do the thing. Like I'd never been in a studio to record my shit before. Like, and I just like, I just knew I needed to like be in there and like Mm -hmm. get with Zach and like, you know, Zach is like one of those dudes that I just like trust so much with um, my creative vision and we've done co-producing kind of things in the past. And so you know, the money thing was, you know, the biggest issue of why I couldn't get in there and like do everything in there. But, mm-hmm. you know, um, we, uh, you know, got some like, you know, recording shit and I did, you know, acoustic guitar in my basement and had Wyatt Moran come and play bass on the tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the like sampling and the drums that you hear are from just like me like tooling around in logic pro yeah. and you know when i when i got into the studio um you know I, i'd sent the demos out to the why not boys and they were just like these are really cool songs like we'd love to like come and collaborate and i was like yeah i need i need more voices than just mine mm-hmm. you know i think i think like in the production sphere i'm not i don't super know what i want mm-hmm. so like if if we can just throw a bunch of ideas at the wall and like you know get isaac in there and get kevin there like people who i really trust creatively um that's really what ultimately like made like finish the record you Mm -hmm. know like the the songs were there but um it was kind of about like changing up like the instrumentation or the orchestration of everything to kind of make it like realize their full potential so yeah yeah, like zach played a bunch of stuff on here um wyatt played bass on most everything i think except for urgency henry played bass on that and then henry and zach played some keys um both isaacs james and dell 
played electric guitar um and then kev laid down some piano so yeah it was all it was all it, the sessions were so fun like it was just you know us um you know getting drunk on a tuesday night and figuring out how to play these songs so yeah. that's cool that, that's 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 a homey moment right there that's a good time mm-hmm. um engage your homie moment <laughs> how did you balance working on this record even once like the songs were all written, like the chords were there, the lyrics were there with um, putting on Rochester five in the spring or I guess early summer. And then also launching three birds, the um, your new record label that you've that yeah. launched like a couple months ago and mm-hmm. has put out a few, like this is I think going to be the second or third release. Yeah. This will be the second one. Second, yeah. Y's EP just came out like a week or so ago. How did you balance working on this record, working on The Great Pause, with all the other stuff you were either kind of just... I mean, Rochester, I feel like at this point, would have been a pretty familiar environment because it was year five. Mm -hmm. Um, You've been doing this for half a decade. And then doing Three Birds and really getting that in motion and getting like the, the seeds of that planted as you were working on this record. Yeah. Um... Rochester was great because it was really like out of my control at that point. Like uh, it was cool because, because of the live stream aspect, I have no idea how to live stream. So <laughs> we had, you know, treat them, do the video and yeah. then carpet booth do the sound. So like, obviously it was just like me showing up and just watching. Like it was it's <laughs> so fun. It was just me show up, like get to talk to my favorite artists and like um, just chill which was great and then you know i got to do some interviews and do that kind of stuff played your role for a little bit you know um yeah but then you know like that was kind of like you know the record was i knew i was going to record it at carpet booth at that time and it was it was officially a record so it was more of just like a break um Mm. i was doing those things kind of in conjunction and you know do rochester in the daytime write music at night kind of deal turn on the business brain and the creative brain at separate times and yeah. um i've been you know thinking about starting a label just because there wasn't anything in minnesota and um i knew i wanted to have something to put my management under um that was unique to the the vision and the spirit of what rochester was mm. um and so took a long time to like figure out the name and figure out the branding and all that kind of stuff. But we landed on three birds and, you know, it's really representative of like, you know, uh, what the Rochester logo was like three geese flying overhead. And, um, I have it tattooed on me. So I, you know, I gotta <laughs> keep the, I gotta keep it rolling. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I, I wanted to like have a space where, you know, Minnesota artists could, you know, put out their stuff and, I could really try to advocate for that in the scene. And, you know, um, I'm moving up to, I'm moving up to Minneapolis in August actually. So hopefully once the pandemic is over, I can, I can get out to more shows and, you know, start building out the label a little bit more, but it was really kind of like a, um, uh, an idea, a project, um, just something I'd never done in the music industry. And so I wanted to give it a shot and it's been you know, it's been good so far. Been good so far. Can't complain. Yeah. yeah it, it's 
just early enough where it's still kind of up in the air, but it's it's good that it's feeling good so far. Um, yes. Yeah. What do you hope people take away from like their first couple listens to the great pause? Um, and you already kind of touched on this where you wanted it to be very universal and where people would have their own reactions and responses and things that they pick up on. Um, but if you had to kind of like put into words something or like what you want people to really hone into what you, what you hope, whether they do or not is up to them. It's out of our control. Yeah. But um, what do you hope yeah. people connect with when they're hearing this record for the first time and even hearing the next couple singles that are to be released as of recording? For sure. Yeah. I hope, um, I hope that people can find their own meaning um, I hope that it gets included in the the midnight drive playlists. Like I, I want it to be a very like reflective and contemplative album for everyone, and I hope that they listen to it from front to back, from one to nine, yeah, and not and not shuffle like Spotify tries to do sometimes. People that shuffle albums are like unhinged that's just, psychopaths it's, it's psychopaths it's, it's terrifying how do you do that um <laughs> i don't know yeah like my girlfriend my girlfriend told me that she like I, I sent her this album and she told me that like she was on this song i was like wait that's the sixth song you can't have listened to that much and she's like, oh i'm on shuffle i said wow like i had to like give i had to give her a talking to um but it's it's all love i don't care if you listen out of order as long as you listen and stream <laughs> yeah yeah that, that ultimately that's the, the core desire but people should be i'd like to buy to back. <laughs> i'd like to buy a sandwich from this album hopefully like a, a sing- nice meal a, a single like taco bell taco yeah like, exactly the, the, I, I would like to get one quesarito for <laughs> um this this album that's, please. that's pretty ambitious case readers are big um that's like yeah <laughs> like the common like touring joke where it's like the band made enough money from each show to buy like a case of beer and like a single thing from Taco Bell or from like a restaurant. And you're like, look, we did it. Mm-hmm. We're a real band. <laughs> um, yeah. I know the feeling. That's the dream though. Yeah. It, um, is, it is one of those things. <laughs> um, this is a bit in advance cause the album doesn't even come out for about a month from when we're recording this, but what are your future hopes and plans for horse tornado? Is it something you think you're going to continue throughout the years just as your own, you're like your creative outlet as a solo artist, even as you, I'm guessing, continue to work with different collaborators. Um, or is yeah. this going to be the second and also <clears throat> second last, uh, horse tornado album? Yeah. Um, I'm just going to call everything my last album. So that gives it <laughs> people that urgency. Um, to listen to it no i um i think like uh i i i want to play some shows on this um i've been envisioning uh you know i i played i play a bunch of songs where there's like two drum sets or there's like one electronic one acoustic i'm dreaming of two drum sets um hopefully me and someone else and i'm hoping that i get to play some play some shows on this record um once it is safe to do so and i'm also hoping um yeah i don't know if there will be another album if if it'll just be kind of like a single every once in a while but i i you know i think this will be like 
I, I spent so long like fighting against the horse tornado thing just because I thought it was stupid when I when I put it out, but I think it's like it's very fitting. It's like takes you a minute to realize that it's just a um it's just a merry go round. So Oh. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I never I did not realize that. <laughs> yeah. I, I like, saw oh, it in a Huffington tornado. Post cool. article. Okay. <laughs> just took it at face value. I saw it in a Huffington Post article. It was like <laughs> funny names for everyday things um and that's where it came from so um but yeah i think it's just kind of like one of those things where i will always have it on hand in case i need it but Mm -hmm. it's not like it's not a project that i'm like you know um trying to build in any way yeah like it's really for me in the record like every two or three years like most bands it's just gonna be like yeah yeah like not break glass yeah i'm gonna frank I'll Frank Ocean it. I'll make people. I'll make people wait. If they do like this one, then maybe I'll like, you know have to write another in, one. In, but in five years, you'll put out like a weird experimental video record to get out of your contract with your own label. Exactly. Yeah, my own label. I'll get out my own contract with my own. Label. Like, oh, these yeah, guys exactly. suck. Who who runs this label? This is terrible. I need a. I need a break from myself. <laughs> um. Cool. So, um, those are pretty much my questions about the record. Um, but since you have been, even from a distance, been pretty involved in the scene, just being aware of a lot of different bands, um, what local artists and musicians and bands have you kind of had in your rotation recently, just as a listener? Um, like this is the moment to shout out the homies, shout out your friends, sure. bands, shout out anyone that's like put out anything semi recently that you're really enjoying really engaging with yeah um well yeah obviously obviously stream the three birds artists uh why not goalie boys wyatt moran um i did some drums on that wyatt moran ep and i think it's just so good i've loved to see him um like grow and i think you know the new goalie boys and the new why not stuff are also equally insane and um there's lots of big things down the pipe which is awesome but um let's see Minneapolis bands that I love. Um, I think there's this whole new wave that's coming. Um, and it's really exciting because it's like mostly female or like femme led, um, bands, which is so sick, like, uh, keep for cheap and vile and, um, dad bod and Bugsy are some of those bands that I'm just like, I'm so happy that people are finally, paying attention i think i think keep for cheap is so fucking sick i love that song forgive me oh it's um i tell them about it every time i see them (laughs) (laughs) every time every time i see them on social media i'm like forgive me is my favorite song uh that's facts though (laughs) but yeah but yeah i think uh you know um you know there are like a couple of things like i think baby boys is one of the best projects to come out of minneapolis in a while Mm -hmm. and i'm super excited for that to come out um see what else um i'm trying to think i that's that's what i have off the top of my head um yeah i'm sure there's you know plenty of oh papa and by the um oh and milo of course yeah like uh those two those two are i think going to be the biggest people out of minneapolis um that we will see in our in our generation yeah i yeah. for sure with, with milo i would not be surprised about that um yeah dude's already pretty much blown up <laughs> yeah yeah it's insane yeah 
Um, Good for him, though. I mean, he played he played Rochester year three, and he was in the Emerging Artist Showcase, so not even the the regular showcase. Yeah, and then, I, you know, I remember I, I saw he that got when I was so big. Looking that up, yeah, it's it's crazy. To, like look yeah. at stuff like that, where it's like that was before he'd even put out like his I think his or just when he'd put out his like his first EP in like 2018 yeah. I think yeah and he was you know he was playing with you know just some some kids I think that I think he was playing with like kids from Marmalade and uh like completely different band than what he has now you know yeah. like so I'm really happy for Bobby man I he's he's killing it like um I'm just so excited for you know that like the whole entire Minneapolis scene I feel like is just like poised to really make a run at it once this pandemic is over so yeah. it's really exciting to, to see everyone kind of gearing up and you know once shows comes back i'm sure it's going to be a insanely cathartic up. experience yeah. for for everyone yeah absolutely yeah. um cool so uh thank you so much for chatting this is awesome the uh horse tornado record is out march 19th um by the time you're hearing this there will probably be another couple singles out i believe so check those out if you haven't already. Um, definitely listen to the full record when it's out. Uh, it's good for those late night drives. It's good. It's a good introspective record. I think it's a it's a really cool release to check out. So thank you so much, Dylan. It was awesome to chat to you finally after kind of orbiting each other for so long. Um, yeah, it's good to sit down, albeit digitally, and talk about the record. Yes, thank you so much for, for reaching out and for having me. The Ear Coffee Podcast is a companion to the blog of the same name. If you like this episode, please leave us a rate and review so we can stand out among the other music podcasts. You can follow us at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ear Coffee. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>